Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Dad, I got a fish. Father's Day. A day to say thanks to the most important guy in the world. This year, get him what he really wants at Cabela's Father's Day sale. Take 40% off Cabela's tourney trail rods. $200 off a Traeger Liltex Pro Rods Grill and $30 off Merrill Reflex Hikers and Mocks. Plus, spend $150 and get $25 in Cabela's Bucks. Good on your next purchase. Minimum purchase required. See store for details. Come to Cabela's Father's Day Sale. In-store and online at cabelas.com. This thing right here is for my people's in the streets. Yes, yes, today, yes, yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause throughout the stadium as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need uh, CPR or something? And at that particular time, I lost it. Devon dropped Yes, 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 today. Love Talk Radio. Phoenix is another place. They got a great uh, training staff. I mean, they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq. And if you can do that, you know, people talk a lot about their training staff. Love, love. Yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one mic. You're listening to One Mic with D. Wills, and um, we are spend a little bit of time on this day where uh, we will be, you know, much of the world we will have its eyes and attention focused on Louisville, Kentucky, where Muhammad Ali's final resting place. And, um, you know, it, uh, one of the things I, I mentioned and, you know, I had a, a couple opportunities to kind of talk about this, uh, did a great show with uh, Hank. Um, and many of y'all know Hank from inside the park and, um, you know, very, but I mean, this is a person that has a very broad perspective. And so definitely should check it out. Um, if you have a chance to go to our Real Sports Guys podcast, um, you know, that's a great place to kind of catch up on a lot of our things um, on iTunes. Um, but I think he had a great perspective on it. And then I've had a chance to kind of scan and hear what, you know, folks have been saying around the country. And, um, what makes Ali so interesting is the complexity uh, that uh, he brings to the table, um, that uh, he, um, uh, when you think about the development and, and, and who he is, who he, who he was across his lifetime. You know, I think a lot of times when people are, I heard a number of folks talking about kind of Ali and also his, his relationship with, you know, and his, his beginnings and his, 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 his uh, work in terms of um, the nations of nation of Islam and um, you know, what that meant. And, you know, I think a lot of it is when you think about, um, you know, um, uh, the, the identity development of a lot of black men at that time who were trying to find a voice and find a way to counter what they were experiencing um, in a way that brought back um, who they were. And there's a lot you can debate, and there's not going to be a debate about the nation of Islam, but this idea of, you know, so people frame him as a puppet or a front uh, person for for this um, movement um, kind of is a simple way of of kind of talking about who he is. And so 
without understanding the complexities of a lot of black men at that time in terms of them trying to find a place where there was a voice for what they were feeling and experiencing in that time. And so this idea of a young person who would have, you know, been a, you know, someone in a college range age trying to figure out who they are, you know, people kind of frame them as though they were 45 years old at the time, making 45 year old decisions rather than young people trying to figure that out. So, you know, you know, we'll get a little bit into that. Um, you know, this is one mic with D Wilson, uh, you know, we will, um, you know, have an opportunity to get in with that more with, uh, with a guy, uh, uh, Doug Fisher here. Um, but, um, um, you know, the thing I love about Doug is that, um, you know, this is a person who is, I always talk to my students about being passionate about what it is that, um, you want to do and whatever it is, like throw yourself into that and try to be the best that you can be in it. And, uh, you know, if anybody who's had a chance to 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 follow him and to uh, watch him knows that, like, he is a student of boxing. He is someone who is always honing and proving and trying to bring you the best that um, he can bring. And so and we consider him a friend of the program. We consider him someone who, um, uh, when we need to get perspective, along with my man, uh, uh Mr. Mr. Briggs, uh, who comes in from Boxing.com, I have a couple people I just tap into to say, look, I need perspective on this, and he's definitely someone uh, that I need. I reached out to him, and he was like, let's talk about it. So um, we like to bring him to the stage. Uh, you know, uh, our man and our friend of RealSportsGuys.com uh, uh, family, uh, our man, uh, uh, Doug Fisher. How you doing, my man? Hey, I'm doing fine. How you guys doing? I, you know, I'm all right. You know, so, you know, usually you have a three-man booth. I'll have Marcus and I'll have Phil. And, uh, you know, this I think this is the first time I've had you on our one mic, uh, which is kind of this format where we want to go deeper into an issue. A lot of times when uh, we brought you on before, okay. we might be talking about something that will hit a couple other topics. But what's great about this right. format is that what, I, what I'm trying to do is, like, take one issue and then we're going to, going deeper as long as we can with it. And uh, obviously, you know, with the passing of Muhammad Ali, this is, um, this is something that, you know, I can't, I feel like I haven't been able to talk uh, enough about because of just when you start to peel back the layers of his life and kind of lay it over um, what was happening in a larger society um, as he was kind of, you know, from a, you know, the young, as a young man to his career in boxing to as he aged, uh, aged in life, um, you know, it's just it's a unique kind of story. Um, it's an American story in, in many ways. And so I guess I want to start yeah. with you uh, and kind of just get your general perspective. You know, when you heard he passed, you know, kind of what did that, how did you feel at that moment? What was kind of your feeling at that moment when you knew he was no longer with us? It's, it's kind of like a death in the family, but like uh, the passing of um, a grandparent, or, you know, uh, mm. your favorite great uncle, you know, you, they, you know, that mm. they, um, are, they've lived full lives. Um, they've been around a long time and you sort of mentally or emotionally prepared for it for a number of years because they've been sick, maybe close to death a few times. So you kind of brace yourself for it, but still when they do pass, there's this great feeling that, you know, there's this feeling of loss. Um, it does sort of – it still hits you. It, 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 the, the passing has a lot of impact, and that's kind of the way it was for me. Um, you know, I had just got done uh, working a show here in Los Angeles, um, Golden Boy Promotions, which, which owns the Ring Magazine um, and, and RingTV.com, which I'm an editor of. They do a, a monthly uh, club show series uh, at a, a historic venue uh, in downtown L.A., and we had literally just finished a stream, maybe 15, 20 minutes before um, the news hit social media. And uh, the producer of the show, who had like a, a an Ali tribute package ready to go in case Ali passed during the show, um, had us come down mm-hmm. to sort of like the basement area uh, of the of the the, the theater. And they just kind of made it sort of a makeshift studio and just basically pushing stuff out of the way and, and 
rolled the cameras and got the whole streaming thing going. And uh, my colleague Steve Kim and I just kind of talked about Ali for 20 to 25 minutes. But I just recall feeling kind of numb while talking, you know. And and you know, it, 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 there was there was it was sort of a uh, it was a, a mixture of sadness, but also relief because you know um, I know like a lot of people uh, have known for a number of years that. Ali had been in failing health, and um, he'd been hospitalized a number of times. And, you know, the combination of his age and Parkinson's syndrome uh, and other various, you know, physical ailments, you know, it re- really imprisoned him in his own body. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want anybody who is beloved to you to, to suffer for, for too long, you know. So there's that, that relief, you know. Um, and then it's kind of hard to to really reflect on Ali um, because, as you've probably noted, you know, um, his life and his career spanned so many decades, and it it, it encompassed so many incarnations. Um, he changed, you know, and, and he he evolved as uh, uh, an individual, as a human being, um, sort of on the uh, on, on the public stage. And it's a lot to take in, and it's uh, a, a lot to talk. It's a lot to process. It really is. It's, it's not easy. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know. Remember, there was a movie uh, done on Ali, starring Will Smith. I think it was produced yeah. maybe, I think more than 15 years ago. Maybe it was you know 16, 17 years ago. Maybe late 90s, maybe 2000 or so. Um. And it didn't, you know, it didn't do that well. And there was, you know, it was, you know, it was criticized or whatever. But it was, I mean, I, I looked at that movie as kind of like an impossible task. Um, because, A, just Ali was such a larger-than-life persona. Um, and, and he did so much during his boxing career um, and outside of his boxing career that it, it's almost an impossible task to, to um to dramatize it for for screen or for stage, and also Ali has just been covered more than any modern professional athlete or any modern celebrity, really. I mean, his life has been looked at and dissected and analyzed and and covered um, so much that just the footage that's out there just speaks for itself, and it's hard for anything to compare to that because. You couldn't make Ali up if he didn't already exist, if, if that makes any sense. Yes. So let, yeah. let's, let's, um, let's start from the boxing side of it. You know, when you think about his place in boxing history and what he brought to the game of boxing, what are the things that, that come to mind for you? Well, he was um he was sort of a mo- he was definitely a a celebrity boxer. I mean, you you've got a lot of great boxing champions of the past. Um the Hall of Fame is filled with um worthy fighters, men who really, you know, who earned the the, you know, the moniker great. Um Ali, of course, called himself the greatest really before he'd proved it, but he went on to prove it, but um, you know, my point is he was in the public eye. Uh, he was he was an Olympic gold medalist. He traveled to the Rome Games in 1960, and he won a gold medal in the light heavyweight division. And he turned heads there with his talent and his personality. And his talent and his personality continued to turn heads when he turned pro and when he worked his way up the ranks. And it wasn't all positive at first because, you know, to the the establishment, and boxing was kind of old-fashioned at the time. Um, he he his mouth was a a little too big, and his style w- wasn't what people were used to seeing from from heavyweights. You've seen a little bit of it going way back to the 20s with Gene Tunney and sort of a stick and move um, style, but. Um, for the most part, most of your your notable heavyweight champions were search and destroy type guys. They they stalked forward. They generally had power. They were if they were boxers, they were aggressive boxers, like Floyd Patterson. Um, 
but you know the ones that were really beloved by uh, the public and by the sports media, guys like Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano, they were punchers, and you know they were fairly stationary, and you know their whole thing was they walk their man down and chop him down, or they take him out with one punch. And the guy who was the heavyweight champ at that time, who was viewed as every bit as as devastating uh, and dominant as uh, Joe Lewis was Sonny Liston. And Liston was a, a very good boxer, a great boxer. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but his thing was he, he whacked guys out of there. He, he hurt guys. And uh, he was an intimidator. <laughs> so, you know, Ali was calling him out not long after he turned pro. I mean, Ali was really sort of began um, this sort of, you know, public campaign uh, to, you know, to rally public support, to, to sort of beat the drums for an eventual showdown uh, between he and Sonny Liston, which was crazy because he was so young uh, and uh, he was still growing into the heavyweight division. Like I said, as an amateur, uh, he was he finished his amateur career as a light heavyweight, which meant he weighed in at um, 178 pounds. And heavyweight is, you know, at that time was right, right around 200 pounds. And if you were a, a big heavyweight, you were over 200 pounds. You know, you were 215, 220, which was sort of Sonny Liston's range. So it was kind of crazy that he was calling him out and that he was doing so with such bravado. Um, and I think if you were younger, you, you were amused by it. And if you were older, it rubbed you the wrong way. Um, but whether you, you you loved or hated Cassius Clay, most people thought that he was going to get beat up pretty good by Sonny Liston. So when he beat Sonny Liston, um, it made a huge splash, not only in the boxing world, but in the sports world. And he kept it coming. Like literally that – that fight, which took place in uh, in Miami in 1964, uh, it was it, it just kind of changed the game in in many ways because the way Ali went about uh, the weigh-in, his antics at the weigh-in, going crazy and 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 you know yelling and hollering and coming in with a huge entourage that had never been seen before, and it was it was so off the chain for the times that people really thought that he was suffering a nervous breakdown or he was unraveling psychologically <laughs> and he was scared and he didn't want to fight him and he even took his blood pressure and and that's part of the whole weigh-in thing you know yeah there's a doctor's examination and at least one of the the physicians said hey man this man is unfit to fight he's terrified he's freaking out here um he was trying to get into to listen's head and i think he did to an extent although listen kept his cool at, at the weigh-in but the the attention that that weigh-in received, it helped sell the closed circuit, uh, you know, tickets to that fight. And closed circuit was is sort of the precursor to um, pay-per-view, is where you would go to a theater and you would, you know, you know, like go to see a movie, but you 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 would watch a live fight. And that's how uh, the people in in the boxing industry made a lot of money. And this this closed circuit did very very well indeed. Um, and I think a lot of promoters took note, and you know, long after that, the weigh-in became more of a media event, sort of like the final press conference uh, or the the announcing press conference. It was a, it became an media event unto itself. But before Cassius Clay, Sonny Liston's first fight, that wasn't the case. Um, and then, of course, during the fight, he you know he overcomes some adversity. He, he forces uh, the feared Sonny Liston, uh, an eight-to-one favorite, to remain on his stool. He wins, and he's—I he, mean—he's incredible. You know, his post-fight interview is unlike—I mean, there had never been a post-fight interview like that where the winner is crowing about himself like that, just to the top of his lungs. And I think you alluded to this earlier. You know, we have to remember how young he was. He had just turned 22. Uh, so he was, you know, the the second youngest man to have ever won the heavyweight crown up to that point. Floyd Patterson um, had been the youngest at age 21. But uh, that, that interview was just, like, amazing. And, again, it was polarizing. It, it, it attracted a lot of people, and it also offended a lot of people, uh, the traditionalists. Um, and I, I don't think it was long after he had won what was still the biggest prize in sports at the time, the heavyweight championship. But he announces that he has uh, he has joined the Nation of Islam, 
He is converted from Christianity to Islam, and he changes his name to Muhammad Ali, which was, I mean, at, for that time, that was just insane. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, you know, if if you would have told him at that time that at his funeral, you know, wherever the funeral procession goes, people are chanting, people of all, you know, religious backgrounds, of all nationalities, of all ethnicities, from all cultures would chant. A Muslim name, Ali Ali, um, he wouldn't have believed it himself, you know, to be quite honest. Um, so, I mean, for a lot of people, that was just like career suicide right there. <laughs> Change your name from Cassius Clay yes. to Muhammad Ali. I mean, people didn't want to say it. It was just like, my God, that's the, yes. And it's hard. To, it's kind of hard to um, to comprehend now, but he kind of helped make that acceptable. He kind of he forced it basically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was actually, I think before he, he, he went with Muhammad Ali, I think he was Cassius X for a little bit, but then it was Muhammad Ali. By yeah. 65, it was definitely Muhammad Ali. Um, so his, his heavyweight title rank really started with a bang, and it was very unique, and it, it garnered a lot of attention. And, and, in, and part of that, I mean, part of it, you know, he, he, he went on sort of a, a world tour. He fought outside of the U.S., more than um, American heavyweight champions because there are a lot of places, a lot of states didn't want him fighting there. They were really freaked out by the whole nation of Islam thing. So he fought in Toronto. Um, he fought in, in London. He fought in, in Germany. And, you know, this is, this is, I'm talking about the mid-60s here. So like 1966, he fought five times. I think at least three of those times, three or four, was outside of the U.S., but this also helped make him a global name. And, um, I mean, I think he was – the name Ali by the 70s had become a global brand really before global brand. You know, global and brand and global brand were really terms. Um, so very much ahead of his time, and uh, his early reign was controversial. He was super dominant. Um, he brought a style to boxing, like I said, to the heavyweight division that they hadn't seen. That sort of, you know, the fast footwork, the fast hands, stick and move thing. That's something that the boxing establishment in the sports world was used to seeing from the lighter weight classes. That's what they saw from, you know, a Willie Pep at featherweight, a Sugar Ray Robinson at welterweight. Um, they weren't used to seeing that from the heavier fighters. Uh, so, that was also something that was, was unique about his reign. Um, and of course it came to an early end, you know, end, you know, he was, uh, you know, he didn't want, you know, he opposed the Vietnam war, refused induction into the army, was stripped of his title, was banned from the, the sport, uh, during his court case, which went all the way to the Supreme court. And, um, I think he gained a lot of, a lot of people, um, not just African Americans, but, um, the youth of the time that was also morally opposed to Vietnam, uh, the kids, the people who were his age, the people who were in colleges, um, they really identified with Ali because of his convictions, his beliefs, um, and, and just the guts that he had to stand behind them at the cost of his pers- his personal fortune, his his career, which had, you know he had just entered his physical prime as an athlete, as a boxer, uh, and maybe his personal freedom because he could have gone to jail. And a lot of people identified with that because it was a time of political change and social unrest and, um, you know, nationwide protest was something that was quite common at the time, particularly um, uh, with, with, uh, within the youth of America. So I think he, he began to, to become sort of iconic um, to the youth of America by the end uh, of the 60s and, and uh, during his exile. Um, but then he had a, a part two to his boxing career when his license was reinstated and he came back. Um, and the 1970s version of Muhammad Ali is the version that I'm familiar with because I'm a child of the 70s and I was born in 1970. And when I first sort of became aware of sports or the world of boxing, it was it was through Ali because he was the heavyweight champ. And I'm, I'm talking about the late 70s. I'm talking about 1977 and 78. I don't remember, obviously. You know his his, his three fight series with with Joe Frazier. 
let, let me, because I, I, and I, and I, cause you're hitting in the space that I think both of us share. We're going to take a break right. here because I want to, I want to, in this next segment, talk about the second half. And I think we both kind of share this, uh, this space because, you know, I was basically 70s. That's where I grew up, you know, understanding Ali. And um, when we come back, I want you to get into that because I think that's something that both of us share. And uh, we're, we're, this is great. This is exactly what I, I knew we were going to do. We have an opportunity to, we're, uh, with, uh, on one mic, we're remembering Ali with, uh, with Doug Fisher, editor of ringtv.com. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the second half of Ali's career with Doug and a shared perspective. This is great. This has been really good. Um, check us out again on uh, um, realsportsguys.com. Uh, click, go to iTunes, uh, download the podcast. This is one you definitely want to keep listening to. Um, we will talk to you uh, again about this when we go. Go on and on and on, particularly about Ali. 
but uh, if if you have any questions, um, you know, feel free to, yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. If you have any questions about Ali in the '60s or Ali during his exile, yeah. um, feel free to yeah. ask him. But yeah, he came back from the exile yeah. heavier. Uh, you know, obviously a little bit older, maybe not quite in his athletic peak, at his athletic peak anymore. He, you know, he probably missed his athletic peak. You know, heavyweights generally mature slower than other weight classes. They're bigger, and usually they, they really hit their primes um, in their late 20s, and his late 20s was spent outside uh, of boxing, unfortunately. So, you know, he, he came back. Um, a little bit older, a little bit heavier, um, did something that, you know, by today's standards is just crazy. He fights the number one contender, uh, at least recognized by, by Ring Magazine, uh, Jerry Query, in his first comeback fight. Now, he's been gone more than three years. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Most guys, particularly in the modern age, they're, they're, they're gone that long. I mean, listen, when Mike Tyson was in jail for about three years, when he came back, he fought Peter McNeely, who was literally a club fighter. Um, And it says something about, you know, the modern age of boxing, the pay-per-view era, and and Mike Tyson's fame, uh, that that was a a huge pay-per-view event. (laughs) That might be one of Don King's masterpieces right there, Uh, you know, actually selling Mike Tyson versus Peter McNeely. But that wasn't here's the thing. You know, my point about that is that wasn't criticized heavily by the the sports media or the boxing press because people understand. You know, when you're away from your sport for that long, I mean, forget ring rust. I mean, you know what I mean? It's your your body's not the same. You kind of have to work your way back into the sport, and it's customary to have tune up what are known as tune up fights, or in the boxing industry, known as Gimme fights means this is a gimme. We're going to give you a win to get, you know, knock off the ring rust, get your confidence back. You know, you, you, you start to, to, to rediscover your rhythm. You pick up your timing uh, and your reflexes, which is so important to a boxer like Ali because he wasn't a, a search-and-destroy fighter. He wasn't a flat-footed puncher like a Joe Lewis or a Rocky Marciano. It did not, he didn't rely on power. He relied on hand and hand-eye coordination, foot-eye coordination. He relied on lateral movement, uh, which uh, is the control of, of, of distance. So he had to be on point. Uh, so it's a big deal that he was taking on somebody like Query, who was very dangerous at that time and would remain um, a top-ten contender throughout the 70s and, and a dangerous one at that. Um, and Ali, Ali faced him. It was a huge event. It took place in Atlanta. It was a huge event in African-American society at the time. If you were anybody in, in black America at that time, you were, you were at that fight. You wanted to, to witness uh, the return of the king, and he delivered, and he, he scored a, a third-round stoppage, you know, cut poor Jerry up, uh, and from there he was in, uh, uh, in a scheduled in a 15-round title elimination bout against a real tough uh, contender named Oscar Bonavegna, who was was tough as nails, had given Joe Frazier fits in two fights. Frazier, who knocked out everybody, couldn't knock this guy from Argentina out. And Bonavegna actually took Ali. Uh, he was very strong and very awkward. He took Ali into the 15th round, but Ali uh, stopped him. You know, knocked him down three times with uh, with one left hook, and um, thus the the showdown with Joe Frazier was on. And in Ali's absence. Joe Frazier really emerged as the man in the heavyweight division. Um, he had won heavyweight top, you know, champion recognition from the New York State Commission by stopping Buster Mathis, who was supposed to go to the uh, 1964 Olympics in Tokyo, but broke his hand and he couldn't. The alternate was Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier shocks everybody, surprises everybody by knocking out you know, boxers on his way to a gold medal win uh, in Tokyo. Uh, and he turned pro in 1965 uh, in, in Philadelphia, which was his home. And um, he just he cut a path through the heavyweight division, knocked out Ali's stablemate uh, Jimmy Ellis to uh, to to gain at least one portion of the heavyweight title. But I mean, honestly, by the time Ali was back into boxing, 
Joe Frazier was recognized by Ring Magazine and by uh, most of the sports media and most of the public, even members of the public that were Ali fans, they recognized Joe Frazier as uh, the champion. But he could, couldn't be undisputed uh, until he fought because Ali did not lose his title in the ring. He was stripped of his title. That was politics. That, that wasn't another boxer. So you, you had a unique situation with the 1971 showdown between Ali and Joe Frazier in which you had two undefeated heavyweights, both very dominant in their own right and both with legitimate claims to the heavyweight crown. And it was, it was billed the fight of the century, and it really was. I mean, the world stopped still for that fight. And it was at the time it was the biggest fight. It was the biggest money fight, and it was you know one of those fights where not just America but the world turned their attention to the prize ring, and that hadn't happened that often in the sport of boxing. But it it was definitely true um, at Madison Square Garden in New York City in 1971, and it was an epic fight. And and really in my mind, even though Ali lost that fight, to me that was one of his finest performances. Uh, because we really learned that um, he was just as tough as he was skilled and talented in those 15 rounds. And really, Frazier got the worst of that beating. He was hospitalized for at least 10 days afterwards. Um, and Ali was actually in the hospital maybe for a day or so. They had feared that his, his jaw was broken. But both fighters gave uh, a lot of themselves. Uh, and um, so, you know, Ali was not, no longer undefeated after that. And people began to realize, hey, he's, he's not unbeatable now. And he lost to Ken Norton, and his jaw was broken in that first fight. And like a true champion, he came back immediately and, and beat Ken Norton uh, in the rematch. Uh, then had his rematch with uh, Joe Frazier in 74 uh, and, and won the rematch by decision, 12-round decision. And then uh, he, he, he traveled to Africa, uh, what was then – uh, uh, known as Zaire. It, it was previously the Congo, and I think it's the Republic of the Congo, or the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but it was in Africa, which was, uh, uh, you know, a, a first for the, the heavyweight championship, and he was fighting George Foreman, uh, another Olympic gold medalist. Foreman had come out of the 1968 Olympics and uh, in Mexico City, and he was the prototypical modern heavyweight. He was huge, and he was strong, and he could box, and he could certainly punch, and he was undefeated, I think, in 37 fights, and he had knocked out most of those fighters, you know, including <laughs> Joe Frazier in cool. just two rounds, including Ken Norton, the guys who had busted Ali up, who had beaten Ali, who had broken his jaw. This dude crushed them in two rounds, and Ali was going to fight him. It was the same situation he had 10 years previous against Sonny Liston, uh, but that Ali magic, and that he is such a special athlete and had such an unyielding belief in himself uh, and was able to come up with things that people hadn't seen, and it was the rope-a-dope against George, uh, George Foreman. Uh, defeating George Foreman, I think, was pivotal in his career in that I think he won over his hardest critic. I think post-1974 and certainly post-1975, and that was – and 75 is when he traveled to Manila, Philippines, for his rubber match against Joe Frazier, where, you know, he was the defending champion. And it was the, you know, probably the, the most grueling heavyweight championship of all time, still to this day, really. Um, nothing compares to it. I mean, they, they, they fought, these are heavyweights who were both past their prime, who fought uh, at a rate that would, would waste a welterweight or a lightweight. They fought at that type of pace. Uh, and they did it for 12-plus rounds. It went into the 14th round before um, uh, the late great Eddie Futch, trainer of uh, Joe Frazier, kept his man on the stool, um, and for good reason. But I think after those two fights, after those two triumphs, after the Foreman victory and the rubber match with Frazier, uh, you know, the rumble in the jungle and, and the thrill in the mil- Manila, stuff that's the fo- folklore of boxing now, um, he had acceptance. Uh, general public acceptance and he was a huge celebrity worldwide not just in america and that's the ali that i i came to know was this guy who you know had this shtick with howard costell and i was drawn to it because i wasn't a sports fan i wasn't into sports i wasn't into basketball or or baseball or football 
not that much anyways. I didn't follow any one sports figure, but when, you know, I got my first taste of Ali watching him on TV, I was absolutely hooked. And the first Ali fight I remember watching live and, and being conscious of during the build-up to the fight was his uh, 1977 fight with Ernie Shavers, who was the hardest puncher yeah. in all of He was definitely he was the, the hardest heavyweight puncher in boxing at the time and knocked out so many good fighters. Um, and he's to this day, he is recognized, even though he never won uh, a title, he's recognized as um, arguably the hardest puncher in the heavyweight division in the history of the sport. Definitely one of the, the hardest punchers ever. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ali beat him. He, he survived. You know, he beat him over 15 rounds. Actually had, had uh, Shavers hurt and going in the, in the 15th round. I don't even remember that. I remember watching it with my dad. Um, I think I fell asleep. I was sitting in his lap. I think I fell asleep. I was seven years old at the time. Uh, but it was important to me that Ali won. And when my dad told yeah. me the next day, yeah, Ali, you were right, because my dad was thinking maybe Shavers would get him. Uh, it, it filled me with such pride and, uh, you know, made me shadow box, you know, throw punches, made me want to learn how to box, uh, made me want to know more about boxing in, in general. And I would come to learn more about boxing, uh, mainly through following the career of, of Sugar Ray Leonard, who, of course, merged into a star in his own right after the 76 Olympics. Um, but Ali to me was just so much more than a, a, a boxer or a boxing champion or a sportsman or an athlete. You know, um, he was just, he was always bigger than, than sports. He was always larger than life. I mean, he was, to me, he was like a superhero. And I had that comic book, yes. DC comics put out with Superman versus Ali. You know, I had that. He was big. It was like a, mm oversized collector's edition and I had that and I remember reading it thinking you know you know Superman was Superman he's always supposed to win right I remember thinking that man they better yes. not have Superman beat Ali you know and they didn't which was awesome you know it's like good they got it right you know <laughs> right and you know and, well, and they were friends but, afterward like they had to fight you know, like some alien you know some alien invasion came and was like you know I want your two greatest champions to fight each other something kooky like that and you know uh, you know superman you know fought him without his powers and you know ali beat his ass you know and 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 they were real cool about it afterwards which is it was great i loved it you know so that's the well, only thing i knew i didn't know I, i've got a lot of people now saying telling me like you know everybody's you know talking about what a what a great man he was and what a great person he was but he had a mean streak and he was mean to joe frazier and this and that, and, you know, and, 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 yeah, that was there, you know, but that's not the Ali that I came to know. I, I you know, I was born in 1970, you know, I, I missed all of that. The, the Ali that I know, he was amazingly playful for a, a professional fighter, for a prize fighter, for a boxer. I mean, he was, yeah, he had the mean streak, but by that time, you know, the taunting and the nicknames he gave fighters, they loved it. Like, yeah. Ernie Shavers loved being called the icon. It was it was a badge of honor, you know. And, and, and you all, yeah, you often thought about okay, what is he going to come up with the name? And, and I think you know, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try and wrap this up because I think you really laid a, a context to this. And like, this is where I wanted to go with it because I think we there were a lot of other. There's been a lot said, like you said. There's not much that's been said about Ali, but I I love that you know for this time with you, we've been able to talk about it through. What he's always said, you know, he said, I'm a fighter. You know, he's always defined that. And so we talk about the things that the larger impact he's had. But what I loved about what you share with us today is through the lens and through the thread of him as a boxer, which I, I think on this day we got to remember that that was where it all started. <laughs> that was what Absolutely. it was all about. That was the launch as you, as, as we public co- consciousness. That, that, that is. That's what kept him in. So as, as we kind of wrap it up and you kind of think, I always like this past, present, and the kind of future. As 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 we think about this and what it means, you know, we got we have some we have some 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 heartbeats going on in the heavyweight division. We we actually have a post coming out here. You know, when you think about boxers of today, and I'm not saying who can be Ali, but the the ability to leverage their platform. Um, where Good do you question. see in boxing boxing people who who leveraged their platform in a way that I would say is more modernized. Do you, who, who would you kind of put in that, 
larger platform kind of person? Or do you see the potential of that, not at the level of Ali, but, you know, um, but in that kind of uh, kind of framing? Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll never be an Ali because he was just that, you know, once in a lifetime individual who, you know, who came into the public consciousness and obviously into the right sport at the right time uh, in American history. I mean, he, that's, that's just lightning. That, that was, you know, Ali really was lightning in the bottle to come at, at the time that he did um, to be, uh, um, you know, a boy from, from Louisville, Kentucky, growing up in the segregated South uh, and winning a gold medal in the Rome Olympics. That alone is amazing. What an amazing journey that is. You know what I mean? That's just, you know, as yes. a teenager. Um, but then, you know, from, from the launch pad of the Olympics into the world of professional boxing and from the world of professional boxing, a launch pad into international public consciousness. Um, you know, we're never going to see anything like Ali, but I do think that there are some heavyweights out there now um, who do have personality and have talent. Uh, that right mix of personality and, and talent and potential to where they can garner a lot of attention and really do something with it. Um, and they're, they're, they're both, they're, they're belt holders right now. They're undefeated. There's a, a 2012 Olympic gold medalist uh, from, from Britain. And, you know, he's, he's huge over in, in, in the UK because he won his gold medal in the London games, the, the London Olympic games. So um, they're very proud of him. His name is Anthony Joshua and he's a modern, you know, heavyweight. He's, he's, he's big. He's, I mean, he looks like a bodybuilder, but he's he's very spry. He's 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 actually pretty nimble for a man who's six foot six and a solid two hundred forty five pounds. Uh, very skilled, really intelligent, really uh, mature guy. Says all the right things. Looks like the goods. If you're not aware of Anthony Joshua, I think he fights this month on Showtime fights uh, uh, a U.S. Olympian named Dominic. You should check him out. You should go to YouTube and, and check out some of his fights because um, he's a very special talent. And there's uh, an American boxer from the South, from Alabama, named Deontay Wilder. And he, he started boxing late, like a lot of uh, American heavyweights do. One of those guys where, you know, he was a standout in another sport and then found his way to boxing late and found that he had talent in boxing. And with, uh, I think, less than 20 or 25 fights, he made the U.S. Olympic squad for the 2008 Games. And he won a bronze medal, so his nickname is the Bronze Bomber. And he's a, he's a boxer puncher. He's very tall and rangy, about six foot seven, um, good long reach. Not as, as muscular, not as thick as Anthony Joshua, but he, he gets a lot of power, kind of like that, that explosive thin man thing, like a, like a Thomas Hearn. Mm-hmm. He gets you know, tall and, 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 and lean, but gets amazing power on his shot. He's rough around the edges. He's not as polished as Anthony Joshua, but he's a lot of fun to watch. And he's, he's bombastic. He's got that, that persona that Ali had. You know, Ali was inspired by his favorite wrestlers at the time. He often talks about listening to Gorgeous George, you know, a, a popular <laughs> wrestler in the, the, the 50s, and, and wanting to emulate his showmanship, his stage persona. And um, I, I often look at, at Deontay Wilder kind of like a pro wrestler of boxing because he's loud and proud like that. And um, his fights are very exciting. Um, so these guys, like I say, they're, they're, they're in their athletic primes right now. They're unbeaten. They have versions of the heavyweight title. They're not really recognized as the heavyweight champion. We're in a, a, an era of, you know, fractured world titles, and it takes a very special individual to unify all the titles to become the undisputed champion. We don't see that a lot. Um, I, I, would, I would love it if these guys seek out and try to do that. If, if either one of these guys is able to do that, they can be huge. They can be um, the most popular uh, athlete on the planet. They have that kind of potential, not just the most popular boxer, but the most popular uh, sportsman. Well, Doug, I would tell you right now, this reminds me uh, that we need to have you back on the air more with us. We have too long oh, of a gap here. Uh, I'm definitely going to get you back on because um, uh, it's been uh, such a pleasure to talk about this and um, and to you know uh, you know kind of 
tiebold in this uh, on a day where, like I said, the world is focused on Louisville, Kentucky, and and uh, remembering someone that kind of I think had an impact on so much of so many of us in in pursuing our own kind of um, professional dreams or life yeah. dreams that you know there are no boundaries. There are no boundaries. Yeah, he was um, he was the ultimate inspiration. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And Likewise. so, hey, thank you for uh, thank you for being with us, and I look forward to having you back on soon because there's a lot to talk about, um, and uh, uh, we really uh, love having you. So, this is uh, Doug Fisher with us, editor of Ring uh, TV dot com. Check it out. Check him out. He's he's incredible, um, and uh, we want to definitely support his efforts. Thank you, Doug. All right, anytime. This thing right here is for my people's in the streets. Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as this man sounds like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something And then at that particular time I lost it <laughs> Devon Yes, yes, yes Today Phoenix is another place They got a great uh, training staff I mean they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq And if you can do that you know, People talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff Yes, yes, today you know, as we start this show, this one mic. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.